This sermon is brought to you by Buford Road Baptist Church. The speaker today is Pastor Tony Cahoot. Take your Bibles tonight and turn with me to the book of 1 Peter. It's time to study the Word of God again. So, let's get uh, to work tonight in 1 Peter chapter 1. And we left off with verse number 12 last week. And I want to pick up tonight with verse number 13. 1 Peter chapter 1 and verse number 13. If you're watching at home, please join us. Turn to these scriptures and follow along with us. And we pray every time that uh, we have an opportunity to teach or preach God's word, that it would certainly build you in the faith. That's, that's what it's all about growing in grace, and there's a passage here that talks about that, and we'll cover it uh, sooner or later. The Bible says, wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Now, that in itself is a familiar term when you study the scripture, when it talks about girding up your loins. What does that mean? I'm going to give you the explanation to that here in just a minute, so I hope that you'll take some good notes tonight. Gird up the loins of your mind. Be sober and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now, a couple of things in that scripture, and I hope that um, this would refresh your study. All right, now I want you to look at the first part of this passage um, because it's, I think, a familiar term that you have heard preached or taught about girding up your loins. But what is the application here in this text? Well, let me just say this, that in the culture of the Bible, we're talking about Bible times, people wore long garments and uh, they were differentiated by whether a male or a female. And uh, the opening of those garments uh, told the difference between uh, a woman's garment and a man's garment. But here was the deal, because that was the, that was the attire of um, the times. And let's, let's focus in on the times of Jesus. Back in those days, people wore what was called tunics, and they all wear or wore sandals. This was that was the fashion of the day. That was the dress attire, and these garments were were long and uh, pretty much all the way down uh, to the sandal themselves. And when traveling. Most of the time, people walked wherever they went. And so the journeys were not near as far as we comprehend a journey to be today. People, they worked, they traded, they were involved in commerce uh, where they lived. But it was relatively in a walking day journey, sometimes two or three, but it was contained in in one specific area. Jesus, when he walked on the earth, 
he was a very busy man when you take time to study the footsteps of Jesus and where he went. Uh, from the Galilee, from Nazareth, Capernaum, Jerusalem, uh, all of these places, the hills of Judea, Jesus traveled many, many miles. But the common family lived in a, a very small radius of terrain and territory, but most everybody wore this tunic and sandal type of a dress. And so when people were traveling or they were working, they would gather these tunics, they would gather them up to um, what we would call a girdle type of a um, apparatus for, for dress and attire and for different other purposes that uh, we... Uh, I'm not going to modernize tonight, but you get the idea. And and the girding, when they lifted these garments up and fastened them around their their waist, it was to help them travel a whole lot, not only more conveniently, but it helped them travel at a faster pace than the garments that were down to the ground uh, because they that was their most uh, choice of transportation was to get themselves there, and that required them walking. And so the girding was to help them move faster. And so let me go back now to the time of the Israelites. Uh, when they were eating the Passover meal, before leaving the land of Egypt, I want you to think, because we're very familiar with the story, they were to eat the Passover with their loins girded. Now, this is important. And I want you to see this scripture because there's sort of like an explanation in Exodus chapter 12 and verse number 11. But the principle is basically the same back in the days of the Old Testament and in the times of Jesus as well. But in this passage in Exodus chapter 12, verse number 11, the Bible says, and thus shall ye eat, look at this, with your loins girded, your shoes on your feet and your staff in your hand, and ye shall eat it in haste. It is the Lord's Passover. So, when we're reflecting on 1 Peter chapter 1, verse number 13, and talking about this gird up the loins thing, I want you to get the practical application of this because Peter has a spiritual application, but there is a very practical realm to this, and I want you to understand it. The children of Israel, here's the deal, they were preparing to leave their old way of life very quickly and abruptly. And do you remember the story? They were to apply the blood to the doorpost. And the word of God said that they were to eat and that they were to eat very quickly. They were to make haste. By the way, when they applied the blood to the doorpost, you think about this just for a minute. How we as born-again Christians today, we are saved by the blood of Jesus. We are saved under the blood and really, technically, when the children of Israel were about to leave Egyptian bondage and 
God told them to put the blood on the doorpost. They were people who had also been redeemed by the blood. Because when the blood was placed upon the, the mantle and the doorpost, do you remember what God said? He said, when I see the blood, I will pass over you. And so the spiritual application to the verse that we're in right now, verse number 13, you, you, you know a little bit about the practical side of it, but the spiritual application of this verse is Peter was telling the believer, listen, you need to have the loins of your mind girded up. Now, what does that mean? Well, again, if you reference the practical side of it, moving with haste, it would be very easy at times to get tangled up in these long garments, especially making a journey over a mountainous region, uh, down a, a slender slope, so to speak, various scenarios. And to travel well, you had to lift it up, tie it around you. It made traveling much, much easier. Here, Peter is saying this. Now, it's a spiritual application because he's talking about girding up your minds. Look again, verse 13. Wherefore, gird up the loins of your mind. Now, what he was saying is this, that as a believer, we cannot let our minds get tangled up in the world. Now, Again, if you, if you keep the practical in your heart as well, then you understand the spiritual a little bit uh, better. He said, you can't let your minds get bogged down and get tangled up with the world. You have to gird up your minds. And by the way, that there is a big tangling up of minds today, even in the church. And the Bible says that would happen in the last days, that there would be a great falling away. How is it that professing Christians can get so bogged down with, with things that really and truly don't even make sense anymore in the name of religion and in their profession of faith. I, it boggles my own mind, but Peter is saying that our minds need to be focused on Jesus and his glorious return. Don't let our minds get tangled up, bogged down with the world. And so the first part of this verse, wherefore gird up the loins of your mind, that's what he's talking about. In verse number 13, he says, also to be sober. Now, this doesn't have any reflection on alcoholic drink. Uh, not, not, I'm not going to go into that tonight, but it says this. And spiritually speaking, this means to keep our minds pure so that we can keep spiritual things in perspective. That's what that's talking about when it says uh, uh, about your mind, be sober. And in another passage, we're taught to be sober and be vigilant because our adversaries are roaring lions seeking whom he uh, may walketh around seeking whom he may devour. And then the second, uh, the third part of the scripture as to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ, which is the hope to the end. That means our unwavering hope. And we have unwavering hope in Christ. I was sharing that with the family today that we certainly do not weep. When we think about Cece's death and her family was under the tent today, many of them were weeping, and one of her daughters there at the end, very um, uncontrollably almost. And I assured the family because of her faith, her faith in Christ, we don't weep as others who have no hope. And I explained to them that they are probably at this moment 
millions of people all over this earth that were gathering under a tent, under a tree, somewhere having a service like this, and they had no idea where their loved one was. We knew where Cece was. We knew where she is. And so we don't have sorrow like we don't have hope. We do have hope. In fact, in Colossians chapter 1, verse number 27, Paul said it this way, to whom God would make known what is the riches of his glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. And I'm thankful that we do have hope and it is in Jesus Christ. When you read the back of the book, no matter how depressing the world is right now, and I would tell you this, whatever you do, if you're in the habit of watching the 11 o'clock news before you go to bed, my advice to you is stop doing that. Listen, you if you do that in a repetitious way, you're, you're going to toss and turn. You're going to have nightmares and all. You even have physical body problems. If, if you get hooked on the 11 o'clock news, because all it's doing is giving you a big 30 minutes of depression. That's all it's doing. And so here's, here's a problem solver. Just read the back of the book and know that we win. Amen. We win. I was reading the other day and uh, I like to put in a minute or put in a two-minute period here and there and read whenever I can uh, things that minister to me other than sermon prep. I've been pouring my heart and my mind and sermon preparation lately and now sermon preparation and Wednesday night Bible study and there's there's so much that I do to prepare to deliver the word to you. I have to be very careful for this and I have to be very disciplined because if I don't feed myself Here's what will happen. I can give and give and give and give until I'm given out. I'm on the verge of that now. I'm wore out. I really am. And I, I have to replenish me. So there has to be discipline time in my life where I have to read other things than sermon prep and, and teaching prep. I have to. I have to fill me with inspiration and encouragement and and to just get with God at times, what, regardless if it's a two-minute cycle here and four minutes there, you, you put it all together and it does add up. But I was reading the other day, and this is in connection with this thing called hope. And I thought, this man, that's a great illustration to put in my Bible study. I was reading the other day of some passengers on board of an Atlantic Ocean liner, and this was many, many years ago that the story was recorded and they were huddled in the ship's lounge. They were terrified by a fierce storm and uh, the waves were mountainous high. I don't know how many of you have ever been on a cruise or you ever been on a ship. Those of you that were in the military and a storm came up out of nowhere. And I mean, you'd go up and then down, up and down. I can remember several years ago, um, Dave and Teresa and Gail and I, I don't know who else was there. Um, we were on a gospel cruise, and the last night of the trip, it was, a, it was a southern gospel evangelistic cruise. On the last night of the cruise, were you with us that way? Okay, so you, you know exactly what I'm headed with this. The last night of the cruise, that we're going to have a great big gospel concert. 
And the, the, the water got incredibly rough and rocky. I mean, we were going up and down, up and down. Leaving the cabin, going to the dining hall, we were holding on to the wall. And Gail, she, you know, she's always the sergeant at arms. I mean, she, she, can, she can handle it, I'm telling you right now. So we get down to the dining hall, and this was getting so bad. People were leaving the table. They couldn't, they couldn't eat. They were getting seasick, and I was one of them. David was one of them, Teresa and her girls. We were all going back to the cabin. Gail said, I'm not doing that. She said, I'm going to the concert. I said, well, you have at it. And I said, uh, not me. I couldn't, I couldn't spell my name. I couldn't walk a straight line if I had to. And um, so, I mean, I went back to the cabin, and I got laying down. I got, man, terribly sick. David did. Her, his girls were down in the infirmary. I mean, people, it got so bad that the concert, the storm had actually thrown musical equipment off of the stage. The piano, the grand piano had flipped out on the floor. Microphones were all in disarray. And the groups were getting so sick that in the concert they had to put different people together from different groups to make up a quartet. And Gail's down there watching this whole thing. I don't know what happened to you. I don't know. You were down there too? All right. So, I mean, I'm laying down there and it's going up and boom and up and boom. And I had no idea when she got in and I asked her the next morning. I said, what, did you stay for the whole thing? She said, oh, you should have been there. <laughs> she said, stuff was flying off everywhere. I said, what'd you do? She said, I just held on. And I watched, I, I don't know. But I was reading the story, it reminded me of this. This old ocean liner was just pounding the waves, and it seemed like this old ship was going to go down. And the main door opened up, and one of the passengers, he burst through the doors where many people were huddled up thinking the end was near. And the record said that this gentleman, when he burst through the doors to this crowd that was huddled up, he said this. He said, everything's going to be all right. And the ship was going up and down, up and down. He said, everything's going to be okay. He said, I have seen the face of the captain. And he said, he doesn't look at least one bit concerned or disturbed. In fact, the captain looks very content and said to me that everything is under control. When I was reading that story in this text, in this verse, look at this. The middle part of verse 13, and hope to the end for the grace that is to be brought unto you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Peter wants us to know that he has seen the face of the captain. He wants us to know that there's nothing to fear in spite of the challenging times that he was living in, and now we can read it and identify with it today. Peter wants us to be reassured he has seen the face of the captain, that he remembered 
the experience of walking on the water with him. He was the only one in the boat who dared to get out, to put his foot in the waves. He was first at the tomb. The captain said, come, and he was okay. And listen now, when Peter was walking on the water and the captain said, come, you remember the story? He was okay, you know that part, until he took his eyes off of Jesus. Peter learned that no matter how high the waves are in life, that the captain has all things under his feet. And this is a scripture that I want to share with you tonight because I want you to remember this. In times of desperation and uncertainties in your life, whenever you're struggling to know how it's going to end, uh, what is going to come out of a perplexed circumstance, read this verse of scripture. Write it down here, and that's Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 8. Let me share this with you. Hebrews chapter 2 and verse number 8. Thou hast put all things, not some things, not most of everything. Thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. For in that he put all in subjection under him, he left nothing that is not put under him. But now we see not yet all things put under him. But I'll tell you what, he's got everything under control, no matter how bad things are right now. Now in verse number 14, 1 Peter 1, verse 14. Oh, let me, let me get to this thing for you here at the end of verse 13. The revelation of Jesus Christ, that's what we're talking about on Sunday mornings now in Bible prophecy. A big difference between the rapture and the revelation the revelation of Jesus Christ takes place at the end of the seven-year tribulation. And uh, that's when the Antichrist is defeated. I'll be preaching on the Antichrist and the Mark of the Beast this coming Sunday. But the revelation of Jesus Christ takes place at the end of the tribulation, the beginning of the millennium. All right, verse number 14. Peter says, as obedient children not fashioning yourselves according to the former lust in your ignorance. And, and this is important as obedient children. That's what the Lord wants all of us to be. Disobedience in the word, disobedience to God as a believer. I don't have to say a whole lot about this. You can identify with it. It does has, have devastating consequences. God puts a very high priority on obedience. A lot of Christians, by the way, don't get that. I'm convinced, I really am, I'm convinced that there are multitudes of Christian people who believe that God is just going to wink at disobedience, not obeying his word and keeping his, his commandments, but that's not going to be the case. He puts a high premium on it. As far as obeying, something that I thought was interesting and I added it in my notes the fifth commandment of the Mosaic law puts a great deal of emphasis on obedience when it's talking about honoring our father and our mother. In fact, the apostle Paul said it this way. He said it was the first commandment with promise. In Exodus chapter 20, verse number 12, the scripture says, Honor thy father and thy mother that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth. Uh, and so that's important. And this is how we honor our parents is by obeying them. By the way, there's nothing in the scripture that Jesus said that was not given to us by the way of example. 
what he said he lived, what he said he demonstrated. And Jesus spoke by example. He lived by example. In Luke chapter 2, verse number 51, the scripture says, and when he went, and he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was subject unto them. That means that he obeyed uh, his parents all throughout his ministry. Jesus put himself under the authority of his father. And he has set an example for us to follow that we should follow in his steps. In fact, First Peter chapter 2, we're going to get a little ahead of ourselves here just for a moment. But in First Peter chapter 2, verse 21, the scripture says, For even hereunto were ye called, because Christ also suffered for us, leaving us an example that ye should follow in his steps. And verse number 14 continues. He says this, there's a comma after the word children, as obedient children, not fashioning yourselves unto or according to the former lust in your ignorance. None of us who are in the family of God and we've been saved for any length of time, none of us should be ignorant of the means of grace that is available to each and every one of us. God supplies so much grace to us. And that we can indeed overcome with his grace. We can overcome the lures of the world. And I think that's one of the greater points that Peter's mentioning. He says, according to the former lust and your ignorance, we can overcome a lot of temptations, troubles, and trials through the abundance of God's grace that is extended to us. Now look at this part in verse 14, former lust. As believers, we should not, it should not be a desire within us to seek a life of sin. None of us should be actively pursuing a life of sin since we've been saved. Verse 15 and 16, let's move quickly through these passages. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversation, because it is written, Be ye holy, for I am holy. By the way, you might want to make a notation in the margin of your Bible that this scripture here that we just read is a direct quotation from Leviticus chapter 11, verse number 44. Let me read that for you. Leviticus 11, verse 44. The scripture says, For I am the Lord your God, you shall therefore sanctify yourselves, and you shall be holy, for I am holy. Neither shall you defile yourselves with any manner of creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So these two verses in particular are a quotation of that scripture in Leviticus 11.44. This passage here in Leviticus, it, it basically deals with rituals and typologies. That's a little deep, but I realize that uh, you're up to the task tonight because you're here to study the word of God. And I want to just make a few comments on this tonight before our time expires. But this, this passage in Leviticus that is in reference, a quotation to verse 15 and 16, this passage, it deals with ceremonial cleanliness and really uh, in the Old Testament manners of diet. It talks about animals that were considered clean and unclean. Now, this is important. Uh, this is a little interesting, and I hope that you get a blessing out of this, because a ceremonial clean animal 
was one that chewed the cud. Have you ever heard that expression? That was a ceremonial clean animal. It had to have a parted hoof. For example, cows and sheep and goats. And uh, now, in the New Testament, when God was giving Peter an inspiration, the Holy Spirit gave him an inspiration that eating pork was okay. A hog had a parted hoof, but here's the thing. It did not chew the cud. Now, you've heard that old expression before. What does that actually mean? It meant to slowly, and this is what God had forbidden. And this is, I think, a way to help you understand that. It meant to slowly chew their food over and over in their mouth before finally swallowing it. That's, that's what that term really means. So, by the way, a horse was off limits as well. So Peter, in this passage of Scripture, he's kind of making a reference to this passage of Scripture. He's talking about the clean and the unclean. Let's reread it. But as he which hath called you is holy, so be ye holy in all manner of conversations. Because it is written, be ye holy, for I am holy. He's stressing how important it is to have a clean walk with God, a clean heart, a clean mouth. Mind, he is saying, listen, when you chew on the word of God, he's saying inwardly digest it, take it in, uh, let it benefit you. I want to pick up here next Wednesday night because there's a great illustration that comes out of Joppa at Simon the Tanner's house concerning the revelation about this uh, be you holy for I am holy thing. And I want you to get it. It's a great illustration here. It's a good place to stop because otherwise it would take me a bit too long to draw the net on that point tonight. So let's stop here. You listen to Pastor Tony Cahoot. For more information, visit our website at BufordRoadBaptistChurch.com.